Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. This is episode 157. So, last week I was talking about my Star Wars detonator project, and I actually managed to stuff it into the enclosure. So, I'll put it in the webcam for Stephen to see. Oh, yeah, because we got, we got an audio sample of it exploding last week. Yeah, so here it is again. But this time you can... Yeah, and it actually works with like the slide switch and the LEDs are doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what will happen is I I'll take some pictures of the insides, but there's a uh, little lever micro switch in there. So when the the slider switch on top of the, the thermal detonator slides back, it hits the lever switch, hits the micro switch, and then that just actually just powers on the whole board, and uh, it just runs through a state machine. And at the end, it goes to a while loop and just sits there until you turn it back off. It doesn't keep repeating. But the inside's got a Arduino Nano, the LM386 amplifier, and a piezo, and then a 9-volt battery. So it's actually got some heft to it, because that 9-volt battery is pretty heavy. It also has uh, four LEDs, right? Yeah, it's got four LEDs, three orange ones and one red one. The only thing left to do with the project now is to make like a little stand, 3D print the stand for it. And then um, I actually printed the lenses that goes on the red LED, but I can't find them, so I might have to reprint them. Huh. So so I'm curious, how did you how did you mount the micro switch inside? Because it's it's a curved surface. It's got a little tiny ledge in there. Yeah. That's flat. Oh okay. And I just glued it to that. I'm assuming that's what the original designer of this model intended. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a Thingiverse model? It's a Thingiverse model. I, I can push the uh the uh, model link in our in our description. So it's after this thing's done. So but yeah, I need to b put that little lens in there and then like make it all grimy and then shoot it with some clear coat. Yeah. Um, nice. But I'm pretty happy with it. And I'm trying to think if I want to continue because I've made my prop and I'm pretty happy with it. Um, it's like, do I continue with the project and like make it better or go on to something else now. <laughs> well, what, what would you do differently? Well, like right now, like if you open it up, it's just like a mess of multiple boards in there, the batteries, everything's just hot glued in. I don't like using hot glue in projects because it's like the moment something breaks, it's impossible to fix. <laughs> uh, and so what I'd like to do is take, take the model, put some standoffs in it, and then build a board in there that just mounts in there with screws. And change the battery over to a lithium so you can just charge it. Because right now the battery's actually hot glued in there. Oh, it's it's one time. It, it's, it's, it's once this battery dies, you have to basically rebuild it. Got it. Which is fine for a prop. That nine volt battery will last forever in re, in like this situation until it like you know explodes with acid. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it becomes a thermal detonator? Yeah, it becomes a thermal detonator of acid. Um, and like some things I'd like to change is I want to change the the front where the LEDs, the orange LEDs show up. I want to actually put like some frosted lenses in there, so it like diffuses it a bit, um, so it looks more like it does in the movies. And make those LEDs just mounted on the PCB, like maybe even use light pipes for that part. Like make it more 
an actual product design <laughs> instead of a a like hacked together prop. G- gotta be pro, right? Yeah, you gotta be pro. And so I, I I've been thinking like how to do that, and I can eat like it's that's not a hard problem to do. Like it's just a little more three D printing and and some board design. But it's like I made mine, and I'm happy with it. <laughs> and so it's if anyone else is interested in these kind of things, um, like make a kit. That's this board. Like you can just get all the files and make your own now. So you don't have to have the you know hot glue skills that I have to put this thing together. It it would be really it would be really awesome if it could be single board that includes the battery on there and the switch. And it, and the switch and the LEDs, where the two clamshells of the of the device just sandwich the board, and you're done. Yeah, I'd like it to make it so that like, because right now the the lid just kind of slides on. Like, I want to put a locking mech, so you put it on and then twist it, and it kind of just it doesn't have to like lock it, but it needs to be better than just a slip fit. Especially with three D printed. Yeah, three D printing parts. Um, all that stuff is doable. It's just, do I put the effort through to do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it looks great. So uh, this is one of those situations where you, I, I'm assuming you probably won't unless somebody wants you to. Like, yeah. If it's up, if it's up to you, the answer is probably no. Yeah. If it's up to me. The answer once I like finish the paint and stuff, it's like I'm I'm happy with it. But if someone says, even if it's like one person says, "Hey, I want to build some of these," like, I'd be like, "Okay, let's do this." That's like let's put the so, effort. Some, someone get on Slack and say I want to build some of these. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is I got to go on the honor system. And they're going to want to have to build them too. So oh, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll put all the work in to do it because then I can make like a really nice version, right? Yeah. But um, maybe the I, I I bet you there's somebody there's some movie prop forum out there that wants you know thermal detonators. You know I. I can almost guarantee you there's someone out there that wants that. And I, I, I wouldn't even sell them like done or anything. I'm like, I would be like, here's the models I modified because I don't even own the original rights to the model. Right. So like I modified them and they're open source because I think the original ones are open source since they're on Thingiverse. Um, I guess I need to look at the, the thing. But so I'm like, you can print them wherever and here's the board design. Have fun. And here's the code. Okay, so so two things on that. First of all, you should you should post on the Thingiverse page. You should post that. Yeah, you should absolutely. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. People will go there and be like, "Oh my god, I got to get that." But what I see that thermal detonator being is a fantastic a project for uh, makerspaces, where mm-hmm. like in order to prove I know how to three D print, I know how to work with Arduino, I know how to code, I know how to solder, all of these things put together. Like it's kind of like a test bench in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like it rolls up your entire maker experience in one little ball. Well, and 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 I, I say that because um, the TXRX, the makerspace in Houston, uh, I don't know if they still do this, but they in the past they used to have um, maker bricks, where you would uh, make a maker brick, and it's sort of proof that you know how to use the majority of the tools tools there in the, and yeah like you had to be able to 3d print you had to be able to code you had to be able to solder uh there was a handful i think you you even had to use the cnc because they had like steps in order to make a maker brick and then once you were done you would hang your maker brick on the maker wall and like you could see that like oh my gosh I, you know all of these people have made bricks and they're all lighting up and doing stuff and so i could see a thermal detonator being a version of a maker brick yeah that'd be cool 
Mm-hmm. So let me know in Slack or on Twitter um, if you're interested in making some of these. Because uh, I'm just glad of how well it went together. Like, I, it's pretty compact inside of it. But, uh, yeah. I can totally see this being a nice kit uh, for, like, was it the 501st? Um, stormtrooper army people that were it's almost like civil war reenactment but for star wars you've never seen that where they dress up as the 501st um uh stormtroopers is this some kind of like fan video or something no it's like a whole group that is like it's like a nationwide thing where um you can join the 501st and build your own ar- uh stormtrooper armor and stuff Oh, that's kind of awesome. And you go to like conferences and cons and stuff and, and wear it. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know about that. Yeah. You know what's actually really I want to do, and you're going to roll your eyes, is um, <laughs> here in Houston, has Houston has the largest collection or largest group of people who have Jurassic Park Jeeps. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the YJ tan and red uh, Jeep, regular Jeep. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm always on the look for one of those YJs that's in the right price bracket, I'm like, okay, I'm going to build a a Jurassic Park cheap. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I was playing video games with some friends the other night, uh, friends that, that Parker knows, and uh, Parker wasn't on, and, and the other night they were like, you know, Parker needs to just convert his Jeep into a Jurassic Park cheap. <laughs> and and, it's, and it's, it's funny you say that because I was driving down the road the other day and I saw a Jurassic Park Jeep, and it was like straight up, like with the the logo and everything, I I even took a picture of it. I was I was gonna send it to you, uh, so yeah, no, I totally think you should do it. But the one I saw the other day was was super classy. It was like the red and gray version. It wasn't the jeeps or the the vehicles that were like super neon green and yellow. Oh and yeah, red. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Is the 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 sand color tan and red, like the actual Wrangler jeeps they had. The one that Newman gets eaten out of by the spitter. Yeah, right. That one. Yes. <laughs> That's such a weird thing for a city to be like, this is what we're best yeah, at. Houston you know? has the <laughs> largest group of those. <laughs> what, it has like two? I think there's like 40. <laughs> That's, That's there's actually you have to go uh, if you join the group, I think you have to go online and figure out what number to like they have you stencil on it. They 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 serialize. The I don't Jurassic know if it's Park like. A, I think that's probably like an unwritten rule is because no one wants yeah, to have like yeah. the same numbers. Right. Of course. Yeah. It makes sense. Okay. So your next product, your your next thing is to three D print a, uh, a like a Tyrannosaurus and and put an Arduino Nano in it and have it play like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Like set up like a projector. That would project into your side mirror, and so every so often you look over, and there's a T Rex there in your side mirror. Yeah. <laughs> Objects appear closer. <laughs> well, that went off the rails. You know, actually, okay. So I'm gonna go a little bit more off the rails. Uh, projector thing. So, so in the Slack channel this week, um, I was I was talking with some of uh, some of our folks in there about building a bench because I'm trying to build a new workbench for my basement, a specific an electronics one. And I can't remember who it was. I apologize, but uh, they brought up a really cool idea that I think was taken from a Hackaday something or other. Uh, but apparently, like this idea, oh, I love it. It's augmented electronics workbench 
where in instead of having like your oscilloscope up on a shelf or looking in front of you or something like that, have a vertical projector that projects down onto your bench. So while you're working on your circuit, it can project your oscilloscope screen. So you can still be looking at your hands and then just glance over to like your desk area. Ah. Exactly. Or your meter or whatever, you know, like have a webcam that's looking at it or, or I don't know, maybe there's, maybe there's some more fancy way of doing it, but that's what came to mind. But it's like, oh, that's such a good idea to have like my circuit, you know, right in front of me and directly to the right of it projected on the table is my waveform or my voltage or whatever. It's like, oh, that's such a good idea. I mean, I'm probably not going to do it, but it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a really cool idea to only issue I see with that is projectors need to be it needs to be really dark for it to work and usually workbenches are like blindingly nuclear like light hot everywhere oh yeah 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 for sure and and actually what was it there was there was three things that I've found in electronic workbench that are paramount uh, first one is it needs to be deep enough and and that's one that you don't think about a whole lot and it depends on on what your test gear is, but like my oscilloscope is freaking deep. Mm -hmm. So if I put my scope, well, actually, you, I'm see, I'm yeah. looking at your oscilloscope in your picture right there. It's like a foot and a half deep. So to work on something in front of your scope, you need another two feet in front of that. You know, this workbench is not deep enough, and it's got six inches in front of the scope. Yeah, you can't work in front of the scope. Okay, so that's the first thing on a workbench. You need a deep workbench. Second thing, you need. Uh, tons of light like that's absolutely critical like and focused light you don't need like light everywhere if you have a fluorescent tube that's right on your bench like that usually works pretty well uh and then i don't remember what the third thing was but i it, maybe it was power or something like that i ha those have enough outlets yeah out yeah outlets right and i would say depending on what you build um a good like magnifying glass, like either one of the ones that's the magnifying glass that's on like a ring light kind of setup, or I've, I'm like at the point where I'm like a microscope is like the best thing ever. Oh, they're so great. Yeah. I, I would, yeah. I'm actually at the point where like I would rather have a microscope than like an oscilloscope. Uh, that's a little much, but, but I, I do understand what you're saying. And like, if I ever work on, on surface mount, anything now I do it under a scope. Yeah. It just makes it so much easier. It's like I used to like it's not even that long ago, like five years ago, like solder 042 by hand without anything. But now I'm like, it's so much easier to use a scope, a microscope. And for like, you know, 300 bucks, you can get a really good one. So, yeah, you can get it. You can. OK, so and, and on top of that, I think it's worth noting, like. If you go on Amazon and look at like aim scopes and stuff like that, you can spend anywhere between two hundred and like two thousand dollars on a scope, and it's it's important to note that like yeah, you get good features when you spend more money, but the two hundred dollar scope will get you like a really good scope that you can work with. The biggest thing, in my opinion, when working like surface mount is having what do they call them like a binocular scope yeah, you have to stereo. have two eyes stereo yeah you cannot look through one eye and work on well yeah because you have stuff. no idea your depth you don't have any depth perception so you have no idea where that that soldering iron and your tweezers are at yeah yeah it, you have to be really comfortable while working on surface mount yeah. stuff you know like and that's a really great way to make you just go insane <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's our like fifth tangent. Yeah, let's. You know, we should have a whole topic uh, in the future about talking about workbenches. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, real quick, on workbenches, there's two things that I'm going to add to mine, I know for sure, because I, I, I absolutely want this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call three, real quick. Okay. First one, I'm going to have outlets that, uh, I mean, just power outlets, but two of them are going to be dedicated to a light bulb limiter. So if I want to plug something in and I want to limit the current, uh, in fact, we just talked about this a few podcasts ago, I've had a light bulb limiter for like a decade, but it's been its own standalone box. I want to just plug into my bench and there's a light bulb limiter. I also want to have a switch so I can defeat that. So if I have the light bulb on and then I find out that the current's fine, I flip a switch and I give it full power. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's for sure one thing. I want to have another two outlets that are also on a switch where I just flip the switch and I can lift the ground on those two outlets. Uh, just... It's oh, you want to float them? Make it easy. Yeah, I want to be able to float it on a switch. Just so, like, if I want to test ground looping, I can flip the switch, flip it down, and I can see the difference without having to plug in, plug out, mm-hmm. or, or turn my device on or off. Those are absolute musts. The The last one that I'm going to do, and I've actually already done this on a, on a bench before, but I'm going to do it again and, and better. I'm going to have quarter-inch inputs on my bench that go to a speaker cabinet underneath such that if I'm working on an amplifier on my bench... I don't have to roll a cabinet over. I don't have to roll speakers over. I just plug into my bench, and I have a load. My bench has an eight ohm load built in. in. It. That's what. Yeah, I absolutely want that. So, it's a good idea. Are you gonna put that gross ass carpet on it again? No, 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 no. I, I <laughs> wait. Par- Parker remembers my old shop. I actually, I, I needed a, like a bench topper, and I went to like a nasty like carpet reclaim shop down the street, and I was like, I'll give you forty bucks for like. A mile of carpet, and the guys were like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." And <laughs> and I and I glued it to the top of the bench. I bet you it was okay when it was new, but by the time I met Steven and went to his shop, oh, it was like two two years old. Yeah, yeah and it's been through like four floods and like cigarette oh, butts, and, grease, oh, and, and like glue all over it, and my soldering iron had to let like I melted dropped into it. it on there, and <laughs> there was like soldering iron like melt silhouettes all over it yeah yeah it was it was gross yeah but it was 40 bucks it worked great the best thing about that surface though was if you dropped a screw it just landed there and didn't bounce anywhere oh yeah yeah no and and when you're working on a keyboard that has 10 trillion screws in it it's so awesome yeah so that was one thing i took away from that i'm like if you drop like a surface mount part on it good luck you're never going to find it again but if you have a screw like taking stuff apart it just falls onto this carpet and it doesn't bounce and roll anywhere. So, so yeah. Let, let, in the future, let's do a uh, let's do a workbench special. I like that idea. That would be that would be really fun. Okay, yeah. You, you had something else on your list. My list. So right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for been it. Been talking about this USB Type C article, so this is gonna be quick. Um, my FTDI FT230X and um, Parallax Propeller board is designed it's already up on github so you, people can go check it out let me know what sucks about it what we sh- i should improve etc um and so the next example for that article is i'm going to do it like a direct mcu style so i'm going to go directly from the usb type c to like an 18 mega 32 u4 um, unless someone else has a better idea for this other example um that's what i'm going to do cool yeah so go check that out and see what I did wrong. 
Th this is your propeller dev stick, right? No, uh, no, this is kind of like a breakout board kind of thing. Oh, I did I, talk I'm about sorry. the yeah, dev yeah. stick last week or two weeks ago. Um, I yeah. am converting that over to Type C as well, and I'm probably going to work on that this week. I kind of okay, want to cool. get that done in order because I'm like, I'm actually down to like my original dev stick. Yeah, which looks nothing like the current version. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. not at all. So. This, I still have this. This is like one of my first. This is actually my first microcontroller PCB I ever built. Nice. Rev 0 0.1? Uh, 1.1. 1.1. So it was the second okay. one. I, oh, I, I remember what happened on the first one. It's your actual release edition. Yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, no, I remember what happened on the first one. The I made the EEPROM. It, it, I put it SOIC 8 normal package. Yeah. And the EEPROM's a SOSC eight wide, oh, and so, so I was able to get it to work by bending the legs, you know, like straight down. And then this version <laughs> fixed that. I fixed that problem. Ah, uh, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll yeah. that'll get you. This brings back memories. I I, I need to find the schematic for this because there's a there's like a transistor or an EEPROM, not EEPROM, a MOSFET on there that I don't know what it does. <laughs> <laughs> But it's all single. It's single sided board. Nothing on the back. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Big female headers on it. Yeah, and it was designed to plug into your computer like a thumb drive. Yeah, I see that. That's great. So it's it's it was really convenient when you're working on laptops, like in school. That's what I had it for, so I can like just plop it in and then jumper over into it. But like now, I don't really do development work on a laptop, so it's like I have to plug in my computer that's down there, and then like how do I interface with it? <laughs> But wait, it's not very convenient if your laptop's USB ports are upside down. Then it's super inconvenient. That is true. Never had that, that problem. That would be awful. Yeah. That would be so bad. <laughs> you know, that's something I don't know. Is there a default USB up and USB down? I think there is, technically. Okay. I mean, the, the only thing I know about USB, other than Type-C... Is that you are you have a one hundred percent chance of getting it wrong the first time. <laughs> you also true. have a one hundred percent chance of getting it wrong the second time, and then you flip it back to the original position and it goes in. Yes. Yeah, that's how it always works with USB. <laughs> Type C just works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. I, I got a I got a a new phone with Type C on it. And I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I love it. Okay, Stephen, EQ time. Hit us with that. The EQ is working. Woo! I finally built it. Uh, it took a it it was a lot of work, uh, but I got it I got it up and running. Actually, up and running meaning I built it and I turned it on and it works, which is awesome. Uh, so the uh, it basically so I I simulated the absolute snot out of it beforehand. I spent quite a while doing simulation, uh, and usually I've found if you put in a lot of effort up front doing simulation, you'll get it. it it'll work, kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, so if you do a little bit of simulation and just kind of like eh, I've kind of proven that it works, then there's a chance it won't. But I did a ton of simulation, and I'm happy. Like it's actually working the way I asked it to, and it just fired up. So first of all, I want to call out. Maybe I'm, maybe I don't know how to pronounce this, but uh, G R T Y V R. Maybe there's a Gerturver. I don't know how to <laughs> if that's supposed to be uh, from from our Slack channel. Uh, we had actually asked people to come up with a name for the EQ, and 
they came up with a fantastic name, which is the Venti Q, which if you've been to Starbucks, the 20 ounce giant coffee is a Venti size. <laughs> and so he, he called it the Venti Q. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. There's layers to this joke. Yes. I, like that is officially the name of this, the Venti Q. Uh, so fantastic. Um, so yeah, so I, I built up all the boards um, and everything kind of fit together really nicely. And I actually cut up a, a piece of aluminum and, and put it on the mill and milled out a whole like chassis for this so I can use a little test bed. So everything kind of like screwed together well. I'm actually surprised, like I shouldn't be surprised, but, but it all fit together well. Like everything actually worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, Fusion 360, you know, showed me that everything works and it kind of does. Uh, so the mechanical design is nice and the, uh, the electrical came together. So, you know, the one thing is this device is incredibly power hungry. I think it pulls, uh, 800 some odd milliamps on the positive 12 rail and about 600 on the negative rail. And the difference between those two is just LEDs. So it's 200 <laughs> milliamps in LEDs. There's a lot of LEDs then. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's 21 LEDs, and I'm hitting them kind of hard. Uh, so it's, That was one thing I didn't know is that the yeah. sliders lit up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, now, I when I you showed me that picture, I was like, oh, my God, that looks awesome. Yeah, it, looks it looks evil. Really, really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, so it's going to go. So I have some cool ideas for the amp that it's going to go inside of um, that will potentially use some more LEDs. I've got some stuff to prove and test on the mill before doing that. So I'm, I'm thinking about doing some potential frosted acrylic with LEDs behind it to be indicators. You know, like uh, you turn on the amp and then like all of the all of the text starts to appear because LEDs like begin to glow like volume and tone and all that stuff. So hopefully like, like hopefully a slow start kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Slow start where like the whole thing comes alive and every LED is going to be red. So but I haven't proven to, if that'll actually work. I, I want to see because I, I have some I have some access to some cool reverse mount LEDs that I'm thinking there might be a cool way to make like a carrier board that goes inside the amp that has reverse mount LEDs such that on the front side of the PCB, there's mm -hmm. frosted acrylic that fits inside of milled out text in a chassis. And you see where I'm yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, it looks like, pretty I, rad. It will look, it, so I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff I have to prove there. But regardless, back to the EQ, like, so I've, it's, it's 21 or well, there's 20 bands, so there's 21 PCBs that connect to the backside of a carrier. I call it the distribution board mm -hmm. that basically is sends all the signals back and forth. And um, so the, a few of the of the bands have some minor issues. Like one has a, a little bit of an oscillation problem. One pulls a bit more current than the others. <laughs> Just a bit. And then yeah. <laughs> and then two two or three of them have uh, weaker outputs than the others. But all of them are exactly the same design. So all that means is there's some soldering issues or maybe I populated a component in the wrong spot somewhere. So mm -hmm. uh, I actually purchased some extra parts and I'm going to build a little test harness such that I can plug one band into my test harness, fire up one band and test it individually. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so um, I actually have a... Uh, Parker sent me a signal analyzer that he had lying around. So I'm going to take each band individually and test them all, get them all functioning properly, 
make plots of each one of them, and then put them back into the master system and test it as a full system. So, I, like, take the one kilohertz band. I want to put it in my test harness by itself, measure its its response when I have the the boost maximum and when I have the cut maximum, you know, show a plot for that, and then put it in the master system and show that it's still doing it even with all the other bands affecting it. Yeah. So, so one thing I, I took a function generator, I put it in and uh, into the the master system with all the bands, and I. Uh, I'll take 1K, for example. I did it on a handful of bands. But I put 1 kilohertz into the, the – a 1 kilohertz sine wave into the system and just moved the 1 kilohertz fader, and it was absolutely affecting that one mm -hmm. band. And then I moved the bands just to the left and the right of it, which would be 750 hertz and 1.5 kilohertz, and they were barely affecting it. So Your cutoffs you know, are I, really nice. My cutoffs are where they need to be, and each band is doing what it – I tried that across a handful of bands. So – Effectively, everything is, is working well. The one thing I haven't tested yet is the main input board that controls the signals that go in and out of the whole Venti EQ or Venti Q, the whole thing. Uh, I actually built those to interface with tube gear, so those actually run off of about 350 volts. I haven't tested that section yet. Uh, it's basically what it is is a 350 volt buffer that has a huge divider so it can take 200 volts and drop it down to four volts mm -hmm. uh signal and then on the back end it has the exact opposite it has a four volt to however much large amplifier so i still need to test it i've just been injecting small signals further in and to the circuit so but that's a really simple circuit so i expect that to work um so later this week, I'll get my uh, all the parts in, and I can build that little test harness and test each band individually and just confirm that everything is to the design. But so far, everything seems to be working exactly like I want it to. That's cool. Yep. I, I, so we'll I'll, have to post the pictures because it looks pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the uh, I'll, I'll find a way to distribute uh, some of the schematics on there because there's 200-some-odd... Uh, op amps on it and 20 well no 80 voltage controlled amplifiers on it so it, uh, it's it it's kind of like a fun exercise in signal conditioning because what's funny is the actual signal that flows through the eq it only touches a few of those op amps it doesn't like all the rest of the op amps in there are purely for the controlling aspect mm -hmm. uh so the, uh, there's a couple of like rectifier or precision rectifier circuits that I use mainly because so so here's the thing each band has a cut and a boost amplifier and the way I have it set up is uh, each band has its own slide potentiometer that is supplied by plus 5 volts and minus 5 volts when the potentiometer is in the middle it's sending out zero volts mm -hmm. uh, so that means that both the cut and the boost amplifiers are not doing anything uh, so the way I have it set up, though, is I've got that signal coming in and I condition it such that if you're above the center point, in other words, you're boosting, the cut amplifier is still doing zero, but the boost amplifier is only activated. Mm -hmm. And if you go beneath zero, then the boost amplifier is shut off and the cut amplifier is, is amplifying. So it's, it's not this thing where they're both working at all times. 
one only works when the potentiometer's past halfway, and the other one only works when it's beneath halfway. But I implemented that entirely analog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it's a it's a bit of op amps and some extra crap to make that kind of work. So I'll I'll throw the schematics up somewhere. I don't know, maybe on GitHub or something. You have your own website. I do have my own website. Yes, I should. I should update that with this. You're right. You're right. That's a good place to put it. Uh, <laughs> Git, GitHub's a hell of a lot easier if you ask me. Oh, yeah, because uh, you don't have to do any work besides toss. You're becoming what you hated. I know. People I know, that just absolutely. toss files up there with no documentation. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna post it on GitHub, and and the the text just says, "Here it is." Yeah, here no. it is. <laughs> no, that's the commit message. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will fork it ten times too, and but all the forks will be identical. But you you won't know that. Just to mess with people. <laughs> yeah, just to mess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, um, I you know I, I'll I'll keep working on it and make sure it's perfect. And I wanna I wanna uh, maybe in a future podcast down the line i'll show like all the plots not show it's a podcast but but we'll talk about all the plots and make sure that like i designed every band to be perfect in in its own you know specific way and i want to see if i met all of my design criteria actually we've been thinking about branching this over to a video podcast eventually that's right where plots can be used shown yeah you can see our ugly mugs Uh (laughs) uh-oh actually i have to comb my hair our ugly mugs uh, so, so sort of the, the next thing. Uh, last week we talked about uh, the the old ribbon mic design that that I had played with, uh, gosh, a while back, and we recorded a podcast on it. And in in last week we had talked about uh, setting up a live design of a handful of you know new revisions to the ribbon mic. Mm-hmm. So we're actually planning on doing that this Saturday, which is February second at six p.m. Central. So uh, we will That's give more Saturday? information. Oh, you're right. Yeah, this this it's January 29th. Oh crap! <laughs> yeah, it's the end of the month. Dude. <laughs> so yeah, so this Saturday, February second, six p.m. Central, uh, we will tweet out where and how to watch that video, and we'll also. Uh, talk about on the Slack channel, and we'll give information on the Slack channel, which you can go to macrofab.slack.com, and you can find out information about that. So what we're going to do is live on video, we're going to meet up with whoever's listening with us, and we're all kind of together going to design a preamp for a new ribbon microphone. We're also going to talk about the mechanical design, so how we want to make like a adjuster and stuff. And on top of that, potentially start talking about enclosure designs for the mic as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then we're also going to talk about how we get audio out of this device. Are we going to do a PCM 2912A? In other words, are we going to make this a USB-controlled device? Are we going to do traditional XLR? Like, how are we going to do all this? So if you want to come and check out a ribbon microphone discussion and how to design it and you know give your input and help us out because we don't know what the hell we're doing uh come on and have saturday february 2nd at 6 p.m central time central time that's right yeah cool yep on to the rfo so this one is yours steven yeah yeah i'll just keep talking on this one no i found this one earlier today and i thought this was a really cool uh a really cool little i haven't seen this been done before and it's like oh my gosh this is so simple so uh, I found a, 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 an article on Electronics Weekly talking about a new dev board or potentially new dev board from STM uh, for their 
brand of STM 8-bit uh, microcontrollers where this, I love it, this little dev board comes with three individual microcontrollers on it, which are all in the STM 8 series. And these three microcontrollers are sort of like their low-end offering, their middle-end offering, and their higher-end offering. And really the difference between that is just like RAM, RAM and ROM. Yeah, things things of that sort. So uh, it's got three microcontrollers on it, but the microcontrollers are all connected to the dev board via mouse bytes. And so they, they and and they're already pre-populated with through-hole headers on them, like 0.1 pitch headers. So you can program this dev board, and once you've kind of got everything working, you can just break the microcontroller off and plug it into whatever circuit you're working on, and bam, there you go. You have like it's all taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know exactly how they're accomplishing the programming. If you are always programming all three at the same time, I would bet that that's like, if you push code, you're pushing it to all three at the same time. But I, that I thought that was really great because like you can develop code for one. And then if you find out that your code is potentially too, too big for like, say the small offering, then you can just go, Oh, the medium's already right here. I just bump Pop up it to off. That. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking great. I love that. It's, it's a cool great idea. idea. Uh, and and it's like a super simple concept where, you know, you have the mouse bytes on the edge of your PCB. You can just run your programming traces, and I guess they do power and ground and stuff in between the mouse bytes. Mm-hmm. It's just a really cool little little concept. So. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. That'd be really cool for... Um, uh, have you ever seen, like, Allegro stepper controllers? It's like yeah, a little tiny... Yeah. It's, like, it's what... Um, 3D printers used to use a lot for yeah. like on the ramps board and stuff. Uh, th- this style reminds me of that a lot. I like it. A l- that's a cool idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, gosh, who is it? I think it's STM. The uh, Nucleo boards. Correct. I think they do something similar like, uh, to that, right? They have like a little break off section. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Um, but but the idea, like the the concept of having all of them in one place, such that if you do find out that you need a bigger one you don't go oh crap now i gotta go order the next one it's just right there that actually is what happened with my um macro watch because i wanted to do a capacitive touch macro watch so like you would just touch the surface so the macro watch is a binary watch i designed using the efm8 microcontroller sleepy b uh originally a pick 12 yeah originally pick six yeah, you're right. Pick twelve. No, oh my it was God. a pick twelve. I yeah. hated that controller so much. <laughs> you were so mad. <laughs> one day for one register. An, an entire day of Parker just fuming. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, I even like contacted a microchip FAE, and we could not figure out why I could not use this one oh, yeah. pin as a general I/O. You know, what, one thing I would love to know is how many times we've told that story and. The best part is it never gets old. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. the the reason why is because it that pin defaulted to a comparator input. Why? Only that one pin. Only that one pin. <laughs> right. Right. <sighs> why? Why would it? Def- whatever. Yeah, okay. Whatever. Yeah. No. So. So. Yeah. You. You did a, a sleepy bee, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um. So I put the smallest sleepy bee on it. Uh. Because Sleepy Bees have built-in capacitive touch uh, hardware in it. And so I got the smallest one because I'm like, my code doesn't take a lot of room. Popped it on, and I imported the capacitive touch library. 
at the capacitive touch library alone is too big to fit on the small sleepy bee. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, that project's done. I haven't even come back. That's like a, that was like a year and a half ago, and I haven't even come back to it yet. Yeah, you even had boards made, right? Yeah, I have. Uh, I don't think they're. I think they're at work. Yeah, I had boards made to test it yeah, out. I remember seeing those. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I have to get back to it. Yeah. Maybe I should do that next instead of the Star Wars detonator. I actually, do capacitive touch for that thing. It's just code. It's just code. <laughs> okay. Next RFO. Uh, this is a really interesting Hackaday article that I never even think about, but it's totally uh, a security vulnerability, I guess you can say. Um, it's about smart light bulbs and the fact that smart light bulbs knows your Wi-Fi password. And so when one of these smart light bulbs goes dead, people just unscrew them and toss them away. Well... They all have like, you know, ESP Wi-Fi chips that just store your your basically your Wi-Fi credentials in plain text. And you can just <laughs> un- usually a lot of times it's like the, the, the driver circuitry or the LEDs go out. The ESP, you know, Wi-Fi chips are pretty robust and they usually don't fail. So you just desolder them and you can just rip off the, the and just read it, just straight read it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> And the thing is, the way to fix this is just to encrypt that that password data, and yeah, then right, yeah, people. <laughs> well, hey, you you even said you didn't even think about that. <laughs> no, but it's like, uh, yeah, who? I, even though I'm, I'm I would have my reason from this, Stephen was, I would have thought they would have done their due diligence and. Oh, okay. and actually You're encrypted the now. password. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, well, and and we've we've talked about this multiple times. In fact, we've talked about it with guests too. Where it's like, if you're a designer, it is your responsibility to think about these things. You yes. Know? Uh, like, okay, yes, the ESP chip does a ton of work for you, but it doesn't do all of it. You know, yeah. clearly. Yeah. So, man, that's yeah, that sucks. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> so go check that out. It's a really cool article. Um, yeah. And the next one R- is... Reminds me, I need to go change the password on my Raspberry Pi that's sitting upstairs because it's just the default password. The default password. It's, it's now <laughs> part of the... I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> now it's part of the botnet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. What's the next one? So the last one for today will be the uh, list of common electrical in- engineering interview topics by Luke Metro. So Ooh. Luke has been interviewing with Bay Area startups and big tech companies during his last year in college, and he kind of compiled a master list of questions people have asked him during the interview process. That's great. And so if you are a budding engineer about to graduate, I would definitely go over to this list and look at it all. Because um, some of them are... This, and it, this is a kind of electrical engineer that's going to be designing circuits. Mm-hmm. So, but these are questions, and I would say most electrical engineers, at least embedded engineers, would need to know at least how to uh, look at and answer some of these kind of questions. Like some of these, I don't know. Like, like between the big three switching topographies, buck boosters, boost converters, and buck boosts. Like, I don't know exactly how the inductor works in those those you know topographies, but like I know how what how they work. 
You know, uh, f the funny thing is, uh, I'm I'm reading through this. It seems very much like this guy has never uh, interviewed for an analog job <laughs> at all. Like, there's 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 a few questions on op amp topologies and things like that, but other than that, like everything is just like, how does this digital communication work, and what are the problems with it, and and like that's super valuable and. Even in in every analog interview I've ever had, I've been asked those questions too. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's interesting is that some the ones I've been asked are not on here. Oh yeah, what are those? Uh, the big one is like, what is one component to protect a device from reverse polarity? Chris Church asked you that one, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's a lot of components that will do that. Yeah. Well, one component. <laughs> okay. And yeah, diode. Yeah, and series diode. diode. Yeah. But or, then if or, you add, or, or you could do a FET. Yeah. Well, FET requires more than one part to make it work. Oh, oh. the The question is, how do you accomplish it in one component? Yes. Okay. Okay. Not just what is a component that can do that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. And actually, the I best failed, thing about I failed that the I had, interview. <laughs> no, the, the best thing about that when Church asked me that question, I had just designed a circuit with a P-channel MOSFET input thing. And so yeah, I'm like, yeah. ah, here's all the ways you can do it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah, pros and cons sure. of them all. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That, that, that's the best thing I think is when you go through this list. Is just know like the general concepts of how these things work. You don't need to know like what like clock skew and how to avoid it and like crosstalk and stuff. But like knowing what they are, it, it would and what <laughs> and, and and maybe some pros and cons of like like I square C versus SPI. Like what's the pros and cons to both of those? Yeah. Also, like if if you were to be asked right now, like name the name one difference between SBI and I squared C like just there's there's a couple but just name one like being able to answer that question on the fly yeah, that's yeah. that's good you know uh, in fact you know it's funny gosh a long time ago we got asked a question like how do I how do I learn things or how do I like grow as an engineer this list is fantastic mm -hmm. and, and 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 both of us answered the question like we just read a whole bunch of crap online like go through this list and okay here's the here's Okay, switching versus linear regulators. I'm just pulling one off. May, what are the main trade-offs between switching and linear regulators? Efficiency, noise, PCB area, and heat generation. Like, okay, there's a lot in that question right there, but answer that question for yourself. And if you don't know the answer, go find it. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's this is great. I really like this. Yeah, uh, Luke Luke did a good job. Yeah, this is fantastic. So, analog. Okay, that you know this is actually okay. This is a hard one if you ask me. If in the analog to digital converters, uh, the common topologies, pipeline, sigma, delta, successive approximation, being able to... I only know all, one of those. <laughs> yeah, well, but first of all, being able to understand the differences between those, explain the differences between those, and know which one is good for which application, that'll put your resume on the top of the stack. I guarantee you that. Like, yeah. those, that's big. Uh, those are... And, and I guarantee you, like, those are, that's not super common knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I got asked a question about dithering once in a uh, 
yeah, yeah in, in an interview. And I was just like, all right, uh, let's let's try this out. You know? Like, <laughs> uh, and also, I, I really like his uh, miscellaneous section, too, because his, his top sentence or top paragraph for this is... Um, these are less common questions, but they tend to vary more greatly from job to job. Yeah. My interviewers from Apple did not ask me about motor control, but if you're going to work for a scooter startup, they're going yeah. to ask you about motor controls. <laughs> Scooter.io. Yep. Uh, actually, okay, so this one right here, uh, under analog to digital converters, I, I've legitimately been asked this in an interview before. Anti-aliasing filters, why they're used, cutoff frequency selection, and filter order. And on top of that, would you do an analog implementation or would you do a digital implement implementation of an, of an anti-aliasing filter? Uh, and like straight up, it was almost exactly that question. And I was just like, all right, let's go for this. <laughs> <laughs> Three hours later. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, these are fantastic. Uh, actually, you know what this is actually pretty good for? This is good for the people who are... Um, doing the interview when they need to go find questions to Go ask. find questions, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is. I should save this. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Cool. I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Sounds Do you have anything like else? It. No, that's about it. Okay, so that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. See you later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, topic, or interview question that you want to ask Stephen and I, tweet us at MacFab or at Longhorn Engineer or at AnalogENG or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our amazing Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.